everybody in this room and those of you joining us from home. So glad that you're here today. Uh, a couple years ago, uh, someone said to me, I, I love being here. I, I love how, how you all talk about God. I, I'm interested in learning about the Bible. But I had this question. I don't understand why you talk so much about Jesus specifically. And maybe some of you feel that way or have thought that before. Like, I'm into the mystery of God. I'm into the awe and the wonder. And I'm curious about what the Bible has to say. But, but why such an emphasis on Jesus? Why do, why do we keep coming back to Jesus? And why is um, the message of Jesus so central? You know, we, uh, when we gather together, we gather and we read the written word, the Bible, the ancient scriptures together, and we read the written word um, so that we might encounter in our lives the living God, the living word who is Christ. One time uh, Martin Luther said this, that we go to the Bible just as the shepherds went to the manger in order to find Christ. We go to the Bible just like the shepherds went to the manger in order to find Christ. Really, the Bible is a book about Jesus. In the Old Testament, you have Christ who is predicted. And then in the Gospels, Christ is revealed. We see who Christ is. And then in the Acts of the Apostles, Christ is preached. The early church is born. In the epistles, Christ is explained. And then in the book of Revelation, Christ is expected, anticipated. So the Bible is a book about Jesus. And I don't know if you have done this with kids or did this as a kid. My kids, um, from time to time, are into those connect the dots where you start with one, you go to the next. And when you connect them all, they form a picture. And in a sense, when we... Uh, open up the scriptures to any passage, Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm, Proverbs, we're, we're doing a little bit of a connect the dot here. We're, we're asking, how do we know the living word more through the written word? How do we know the living Christ more through, through this passage, through this text? And so when we're reading scripture, we can be looking for the dots that connect it all to Christ. And our passage today is Psalm 1. So let's see if we can connect the dots. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. In this passage, Psalm 1, we are kind of struck with the either orness of the psalm it's sort of like you know blessed are in the first three verses and then the wicked 
And there's sort of this either orness. Now, I don't know about you, but I, that kind of rubs me wrong. I like to think of myself as uh, valuing nuanced thinking. I like to think of myself as being one who is, is searching for the both and, kind of like um, a little repelled by the either or. And so this kind of rubs me wrong, right? And uh, here's the thing. If, if we read this psalm, if we read this text from Scripture moralistically, like if we say, uh, if we look at it, through the eyes of religion, if we look at it moralistically, then we're going to say, okay, so the first three verses are talking about the good people, the goodies, the people who get it right, and the last three are talking about the bad people, the wicked, the ones who get it all wrong. But if we do that, we miss the point of this psalm and really the point of the gospel altogether. Because Jesus came to show us that there is only one who is good, and that is God. We don't come to God by doing it all right. We come to God by doing it wrong and receiving the mercy and the grace of God over and over again. If we're in the mindset of we got to come to God by doing it right, that's moralism, that's religion. But remember, the gospel said, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Perish, life perishing, and life. There are these two realities. There is this, this person who is planted by the spring of water, and then there's this chaff that gets blown away, but, but the difference is not having to do with anything we have done but only to do with the grace that we've received over and over and over, over again. So, so when we read, you know, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. When, when we read about this person whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who, who meditates on his law day and night, we're not reading so much about what we ought to strive to be really reading about the only one who ever did this, and that is Christ. Because none of us can live the Christian life perfectly in such a way that we meditate on his law day and night all the time, 24-7. The only way we, we live like Christ really is by allowing Christ to live through us. It's, it's the exchange life. It's why early followers of Jesus said these peculiar things when they were trying to describe life in Christ, you know, there's like, I was, I've been crucified in Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. You know, the life I lived in the body, I live now by faith in the one who, who gave himself for me. Or they, they say to, you know, to, um, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Like what, what is all of this peculiar speech? Really, it is that Christ is the only one whose delight is in the law of the Lord all the time, who meditates on his law day and night. Christ is the only one who did this all the time, all day long. And, and meditation, such a, a popular, popular idea, um, an important thing in our world right now, Christ really understood the power 
of meditation. Author John Ortberg, he, one time he said, uh, if you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. It's the same basic thing, right? Processing, mulling something over in our minds. Jesus is the only one who has ever meditated on God day and night without ceasing. The rest of us, <laughs> we struggle with worry and fear and anxiety. You know, when my kids um, get scared or worried about something at night, anxious about something, uh, we will, f of course, talk about it. But then I'll, I'll often find myself saying some version of this to them. I'm like, your mind, your mind, it's like one of the most powerful things God has given you. And whatever you're rehearsing and ruminating on and mulling over right now, you actually you actually have the power to replace that with a song, with a scripture, with a story, with the memory of a place that brings you comfort. And often with my kids, you know, we'll be talking about whatever it is that they're, they're worried about, and, and then we'll just do the simple, you know, the, the Lord is my shepherd, and, and I'll always say, hang on to the line. Like, hold your finger when you say that. The Lord is my shepherd. And replace whatever that, that worry is, that fear is with, with that. We, we might delight in the law of the Lord here and there. We might shift our thinking, you know, from time to time, from whatever's making us anxious and afraid and worried and, and replace it with scripture and song. But only Christ meditates on it day and night all the time. So when we live in Christ, when we let Christ live in, in and through us, this is what we become too. The psalm says that, that that person is like a tree planted by streams of water. Author Eugene Peterson tells this parable, uh, kind of puts this in perspective, this vision into perspective for me. He says, just imagine um, that there are men and women and boys and girls all living in a warehouse. And they were born in this warehouse. They're going to live all their days in this warehouse. If something doesn't change, they will die in this warehouse. There's no doors in or out of this warehouse. There, there are a few windows, but the windows are caked so thick with like an inch of dust that they cannot see out of this warehouse. And one day, some of the children get curious, and they, they drag a stool over to the window, and they kind of wipe all the grime off of it, and they look out, and they discover a world that they never knew existed. They see people, and the people are looking up. But when they look up, they just, all they see is the ceiling of the warehouse. But they see people outside, and they're, they're pointing, and they're talking in animated voices. Well, eventually, they just say to themselves, those people are crazy. Those are crazy people. There's no reason to look up and get excited. But in reality, the people outside of the warehouse are looking at airplanes and flocks of geese and an endless sky, magnificent cloud formations. But the children in the warehouse conclude they're crazy. Now, what would happen if one day a child went and cut a door out 
of the warehouse. Coaxed her friends out there, discovered for the first time the immensity of the sky, the grand horizons beyond. That is a picture of what happens in us when we, in Christ, meditate on the law of the Lord. That is a picture of what happens in us. We enter the totally other world of God, which is a world of creation, restoration, redemption, and it's stretching out endlessly above us, beyond us. And life inside the warehouse could not prepare us for that. And many of us, in a sense, it's like we've grown up in a warehouse. But what if we allowed the vision that captured Jesus to coax us out of the warehouse and into the depth of the ocean that is God, the vast expanse of God's kingdom? What might happen in our lives? Because Jesus was all about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of love. And many people around him were stuck in the warehouse, the box of rules and regulations. But it's like Jesus kept looking at the sky. He kept pointing at the sky. He kept envisioning, talking about the kingdom of God, kept longing for it, longing for the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And this was his meditation, his longing, his vision, his desire. Now, when it comes to our thoughts, experts will say that people only really have an ex attention span for like seven seconds. So if you're listening to me right now, within seven seconds, you, your mind will just naturally drift and meditate. You might come back, but your mind will drift and meditate towards something else. Like if you are um, really excited about Valentine's Day, you're super in love, maybe it'll like drift to the person you're in love with. If you're in the midst of pain, it might drift to the place of your pain, right? Meditation, it's like where our minds go when we're clicking, when we're at a stop sign. Those places of, it's the things we meditate on. And what the psalmist says here is like, if we want to be like that tree planted by s the streams of water, like, like Christ, we have to reflect on and digest and and make the whole of God a part of our lives. And really, it's not something we do. It's a gift that we're given. We can ask God for more of it. God, give us a deeper desire for you. God, give us a longing for you. I read the story about a, a farmer in Kansas who had two sons, and the sons went into the Navy, and they loved being in the Navy on the water and they loved it and and this farmer in the middle of Kansas had a brother who came to visit him after his sons were were in the Navy and uh, he said to his brother hey you're a smart guy you're a psychologist can you help me understand something how in the world did two boys who grew up in the middle of Kansas where there's hardly any water how did they fall in love with the sea how did they end up going into the Navy and loving it how did this happen and and his brother said it's a really good question. I don't, I don't really know. Let me think on it. And 
that night he spent the night there in the home and, and he slept in uh, one of the boys' rooms. And the next morning he came to breakfast, he said, I think I have an idea, come up here. And, and when they walked in the room, there was a big poster, magnificent, beautiful image of the ocean. And in the middle of it, a ship. And then he said, hey, lay down on this bed. And, and when, you, when you first sit up, what do you see? You see that. When you walk in the room, you see it. When you leave the room, you see it. When you wake up first thing straight away, you, you see it. And it was, it was like, you know, maybe just by, by seeing, by, by meditating on, by it, it almost, like, maybe it led to, to wanting to be on the sea being a sailor, and the point is, like, if you, too, in Christ, meditate on the things of God, learn of the things of God, allow scripture, there's so many amazing apps right now for scripture, the pray as you go, you've got um, just so many different, um, Lectio 365 was the other one I was thinking of, ways in which we can just allow scripture to fill our minds and our hearts so that the things that Jesus meditated on become the things that, that we're meditating on. And the psalmist says this is what a person, it's like a, next to a stream of living water. If you think about that, that is what we all long for. It's like our souls, in a way, they're starving. It is no wonder why for more than 2,000 years, when we come to the table of communion, we're talking about Jesus as the bread of life. Our souls, they're, they're hungry. They're more than hungry. They're starving. In fact, every addiction in your life is really like this unseen core part of you inside crying out in hunger for connection to be filled something greater than anything in this world offers like so whether your narcotic is like alcohol gaming opioids work the next relationship more followers more success the next amazon order whatever it may be the perfect selfie like whatever your addiction may be it really is the cry of your soul for connection and that's why we center our community communal worship every week around the table. We, we center it around a meal, around the bread and the wine, where we come again and we say, oh, God, we have sought you in all these other ways, but we're so hungry. And we know we won't ultimately find you in all these other places that we, our addictions reveal. We're searching in all these other places. But here we are again. We throw ourselves on your grace and your mercy we're not a bunch of, you know, moralistic religiosity people who are trying to do it right, trying to get it all right, trying to check all the boxes. No, we know we don't come to God by doing it right. We come to God through Christ, and that, that's why we talk about Jesus so much. Let's pray together as we close. Oh Lord Jesus, thank you that the minute we turn, you come running. I thank you that there is no um, 
right? There's no place we can go that's outside of your reach, outside of your redeeming and restoring love. And I pray that as we come to the table now, that we might be nourished once again in you, that we might find our sustenance once again in you. And God, would you draw us deeper into your love, into your word. May the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.